Welcome to Green Eggs and West Ham. I'm Chris W. along with my co-host Chris S. This podcast is dedicated to providing lighthearted, concise analysis on everything concerning West Ham. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to Green Eggs and West Ham. Hammers had quite an unfortunate game on Saturday with a 1-0 loss to Chelsea, and we've got a lot to cover. Um, Chris, uh, so let's get into what we'll discuss for the podcast, and then I'll, I'll hand it over to you, and you can kind of give your analysis of the game. But uh, we're going to get into the game recap. Um, there was some decisions within uh, the game that had some, uh, <laughs> I guess, a lot of controversy, and one of them was the penalty. Another was the VAR decision. Uh, we're going to talk about both of those. I'm really excited to get your opinion on that. Um, after that, we'll go into, uh, how are we looking for Europe champions league and Europa? Um, one of the biggest topics of discussion this past week was the European super league. So, uh, we've got to touch on that and we will, um, and we'll explain kind of uh, the background for that for some people that uh, if you're confused or don't really know what was going on. And then also, um, we'll have a look ahead. Uh, we've got Burnley next week and seems to be uh, quite a challenging opponent considering they got a four zero win against Wolves. So, uh, Chris, what do you think of how we played against Chelsea first half, second half, and uh, then we'll get into the referee decisions? First half, we looked sluggish the, the first at least 20 or so minutes. Just kind of, we came out in the five back, but man, we the injuries started to show. We did not have um, Cresswell. We did not have Masuaku, two, the two players that I think are the most crucial in that five back being able to provide an offensive threat in that formation. Uh, we were also missing Antonio, um, which we didn't seem to adapt our play. Like we were missing Antonio. We, we played like we had a big physical center forward up top, just lofting the ball up to Bowen, but that Bowen's not that player. Neither is Lingard. Neither of them really could uh, fight off the opposing center backs to hold on to the ball. So that lit- had trouble keeping possession early on. Um, we're, we're okay defensively, but, but nothing, just kind of a, a bland start. But then in the, in the last half of the first, the last portion of the first half, I thought we came a little more into our element, started to look a little bit better. Um, we, we gave away, we ended up giving up that goal just before halftime. Um, but I, I was a little concerned that we, we, we didn't have the same attacking output we had in prior games. What did you think of the chances we created? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Uh, first of all, you were spot on with that Bowen and Antonio are not the same player uh, point because Bowen is pretty decent dribbler, extremely fast. So he can run and probably, uh, you know, pace uh, this or have the same pace as Antonio up there. The only problem is like when you've got Christensen defending you, uh, you can't play the same style. And so I really think you're, you're right about that. That hurt our chances the first half. And I think we adapted a little bit better the second half. Um, it was about minute 30 when I saw us start coming alive. And, you know, we, I can't say we've had slow starts because we've scored, we've been scoring three uh, to zero pretty much the first half uh, for the past three or four games. And uh, well, I guess, except for Newcastle, but uh, so, I, you know, yeah, we had a little bit of a slow start, but I also think that could have been attributed to Moy saying, hey, let's go out there, be a little bit more defensive, uh, see what they're going to put out and how they're going to line up, and then we'll we'll go for it. Do you think Moyes was um, outcoached by Tuchel? I, I felt Tuchel, so they, they set up in an almost mirror formation to what we did, which is, I think, 
from my knowledge, one of their more common formations. It's not, not like they necessarily changed the formation, uh, but it seemed as if their center backs were tasked with sitting much further back than normal. And even Chilwell got forward a little bit. He was very deadly when he got forward, but he wasn't, you know, compared to Sufal and Fredericks who were just always, whenever we had the ball blazing down the line, uh, the, the, the wing backs for Chelsea were a little more um, measured in their attacks. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I felt like that prevented us from being able to do what we do best, which is counterattack after winning the ball because Chelsea had so many players back ready for that. Do you, do you think it was a yeah. problem that Moyes didn't really adapt? Well, it's interesting. I, I, I don't think it's fair to say he was outcoached. I think it was just good on Chelsea's part to recognize that that's how you stop our attack. And I, I think we still had our chances. So I don't want to say it completely you know, was yeah. the, the key to stopping West Ham, but it, it was a good tactical decision by Chelsea. Um, I also think that we saw it, their attacks suffer a little bit because of it, though. Uh, other teams had thrown people forward like nuts, you know, and, and we've been able to catch them on the counter. However, Chelsea didn't do that. So that first 20 minutes when we were kind of sluggish, you know, I was nervous that they would get a goal and they had, I think one good chance in the first 20 minutes or excuse me, 30 minutes. And, uh, but besides that, you know, they would throw people forward, but they, but it wasn't nearly, we, we could match them one for one in defense. So yeah, I, I, I think it was the right tactical move from Chelsea, but it also, I, I don't think it was necessarily Moyes' like, um, fault. You know, I don't think he's at fault for that. What, what do you I think? Should, I, I think, yeah, I think Tuchel set up great to neutralize us. I don't really know what Moyes could have done um, yeah. at this point. Uh, you know, uh, the maybe change formation, um, but then, you know, the only real threat you have on the bench is Ben Rama. That's, that's it. And you can't really, um, there's not a whole lot to change the, the style of play. Well, I think that's actually the underlying theme of the game is um, we, we are suffering at depth right now and it's, it's coming through. I mean, we have five or six injuries, you know, uh, just to go through, I mean, I know you mentioned a little bit, but I mean, Antonio Cresswell Dawson's on a red card. That was unfortunate. Um, We've got Randolph, who, yeah, he doesn't play first team, but still injured. And then uh, Mazuaku. Yeah. And Antonio. Antonio, too, the big one. So, yeah. I, and it, Rice, I think, I don't know if I mentioned, but still, yeah. that's that, that's five starters, you know? So, that squad depth, I think, is is really what it comes down to. Because Moyes, like you mentioned, he, I, I don't know what he could have done if, if we had other attackers and everything. Uh, kind of like we saw against when Arsenal played us, they threw on like three attackers with all their subs just to get the goals back. For us, I mean, we don't we don't have that. We have Ben Rama, we have Yarmolenko, who I don't think would have been the right fit for this game. I thought Lanzini was actually a decent sub, but I think that was the right move to bring him on. But yeah, I don't. He didn't really he didn't, impact he, the game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but but yeah. we were already, um, yeah, we're m- m- half of the time he was on the pitch was was after the red card, so. There wasn't a lot to do at that point. So how did you see us in the second half? Um, I thought Moyes did really well in terms of the locker room talk and, uh, and coming out, we, we came out fairly strong, but we also kept that. And I think we had the mentality of we're down one zero. We've got to get this back. Um, and that was until the 81st minute, which we'll get to, but yeah. what, what did you think of that? We, we definitely look sharper. I mean, we were creating more chances, keeping the ball more. We did not keep the ball hardly at all. Uh, in the first portion of the first half, just 
anytime we'd we'd get it back, we'd boot it boot it, boot it long and instantly lose it. But we were actually getting uh, a lot earlier in the second half some some more um, good overlap with the wing backs, some crosses in the box. Although no one was in position to take advantage of those crosses. Um, yeah, yeah, make it doing some more plays. I I will say um, I don't remember if it was I can't quite recall if it was in the first half or the second half the um, the the handball in the box from uh, the was Aspiliqueta I, I believe yes that, that, yes yeah. that's who it was. Yep. So you and I at, kind of in the moment had a little bit of a disagreement, uh, and I'm interested to see kind of what we both think now. So so when we were texting each other. I, I thought it wasn't a penalty. You thought it was. It ended up not being given as a penalty. Um, and even even on Twitter, there's a lot of debate over over whether whether it should have been or not. Um, do you still think it should be should have been a penalty? And if so, why? Yeah, uh, I would have liked to see the VAR referee's dis, uh, like decision or um, write up, I guess, about it in his explanation because. To me, and I, so I, I played soccer for years. I ref soccer and, you know, I do want to put in the little disclaimer of like, I'm a West Ham fan. So there's got to, there might be a little bit biased and maybe that's what it is. I just can't see past it, but I'm trying to be as partial as possible. So to me, when I saw the replay and they only played it like three or four times. So I, I really didn't see it like the 20 times, like we saw later, <laughs> but, um, but to me, his arm is not in a natural position because a natural position is next to your body where if it had hit that same spot in your body, it wouldn't have made a difference whether your arm was there or not. Um, it was out just a little bit. It was out maybe three or four inches from his body, which again, to me is not a natural position. It also impacted the direction of the ball. Um, and, and that's just what I saw from when they were playing on TV. I haven't gone and looked at it afterwards. So to me, that was a penalty. However, I wasn't super upset that they didn't give it you know it was one of those where i thought it was a penalty but they didn't give it and i was like eh, okay like sure like i probably just don't have that much experience you know i'm yeah. not a fifa referee um it's interesting though because on twitter like you said people were pretty back and forth with it and so i mean you had an, an opposite opinion what did you see so i i i agree with you on a few points so i think the the biggest points that are in favor of the penalty is that he wasn't right next to the shot. There was, you know, it wasn't like right, you know, the, the ball was kicked a little bit away from him. Uh, And then also that it did impact the flag ball. Absolutely. I think the ball would have probably gone in the net um, Mm -hmm. had he, had he not stopped it. However, I don't necessarily agree that the arm was in that unnatural of a position. I just, I don't, um, his arm might've been like two or three inches away from his side. Um, but even like his hand was kind of like behind his outstretched leg. Like he wasn't, his elbow was not crooked out. It, it was, it was pretty in line with his body. And I just don't see where he could have put his, his arm, if that makes sense. From that yeah. Yeah. No, it and does. So, and I mean, like, we try to be fair on the podcast. And so for me, objectively looking at it, I, I do, I see what you mean. I think there is some debate against it, but um, I, also, there was a little bit, and I couldn't tell if it hit his chest first. And if it hit his chest, I still think it would be a handball, yeah. but that also would impact the decision. Yeah. And I think it, for me, so I've never played the sport in any sort of 
you know, beyond grade school type capacity. So I'm not claiming to, to know the ins and out of the rules. I just, I tend to be more forgiving if the ball is striking someone in their arm above the elbow, you know, to me, that's, there's Harder. only so far yeah. that, especially if your arm's not flailing outward yeah. to me, there's, there's not a whole lot you can do to reposition the top half of your arm away from where it is it's connected to your shoulder you can't really get it that far away um you know and if you're and if it he i didn't think he intended to to block it i mean i don't know how much intent really factors into their into that decision um and and i i, I told you one thing over text that i'm thinking i'm going to with, kind of withdraw now i said um because you mentioned uh something that that you brought up and i think also some of the commentators brought up that if that was a striker and the ball would have gone in, it would have been disallowed. And I agree with you. I think based on the way they've, they've adjudicated the rules, that's correct. To me, though, I, I do think there's a maybe a higher bar towards getting a goal versus preventing a goal. Goals happen so infrequently where a um, giving a penalty – like allowing a goal to happen versus allowing a goal not to happen. It, the bar maybe should be a little higher, kind of like in baseball. I think I, I called it like the, the tie goes to the runner. You know, there, there's a little bit of a bias and I, and it wasn't just positional. It, it was not just the the player is a defender versus an, an attacker, but, but the situation, if, if it's on the defensive side versus on the attacking side, and I still hold a little bit to that, but I'm, I'm kind of softening up on that. You know, if I was, if that ball had gone, if he had been an attacking player and that ball had gone off his shoulder and gone in, I think it's a tougher call for me then. See, it's interesting because I, I think I kind of went the opposite way. So uh, originally I, and, and we really didn't talk about it too much, but um, originally you were saying there should be a higher bar and I was saying, no, it should be the same, but I'm thinking, I, I agree a little bit more with you now that I've thought about it where, yeah, if a goal does go in, you know, it's got to be a a little bit higher bar uh, to hold, to stand than if it's like a defensive play. And so I I agree with you in that sense. Um, It's interesting because first of all, I mean, should it even be a difference though? You know, I don't don't know. And I, I I imagine the rules are somewhat written differently. Like, I I don't think it's just a, I, I, I could be wrong. It yeah, could just I'm be sure. a handball is a handball and the, the, which team or the position of it is only impacts what's called, not the level of, if it's a handball, I I'm not certain on that. Well, just, I, I can tell you up to, up to high school level in the U S it is a handball is a handball. However, I don't know if premier league rules differ. So. Yeah. Cause I just feel like who has possession of it could impact it and, Mm. You know, it, it, it's a very subjective rule. I mean, how close are they to the ball? You know, they're, they're, I think they're in this situation with Azpilicueta. There are some factors that make me see, okay, this could be a penalty. And then some factors that make me think, man, a penalty would be pretty harsh. Um, but wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know it, that is not the most uh, contentious <laughs> or um, questionable refereeing decision that happened in this game. So maybe let's move on to the, if you, if you have anything. Yeah. I, I think a fair question that would lead us in is would that a penalty have been, been given if the roles were reversed? And I'm, I, I haven't asked you that. So I'm curious what you think. 
Oh man. So you and I have, you and I have talked about this, um, about you know, before just what is the big six bias? Does it exist? Um, and if it does exist, how does it exist in refereeing? Um, and, and I'm on the side of it's not necessarily overt, but it's there. Um, and I, th- it, you know, it, it permeates a lot of sports, you know, in the NBA, for those who are familiar, stars get more fouls called against, you know, shooting fouls to where they get to go to the free throw line than, than other players. It's, it's a thing that happens. Everyone knows it happens. You know, um, is it right? Harden's a perfect example. Yeah, Harden's a perfect example. (laughs) LeBron James gets a lot of fouls. Even my beloved Luka Doncic (laughs) more fouls than, you know, the average role player then for the, for the same action, you know, he gets hit barely grazes his arm. It's a foul versus if, someone else gets hit twice as hard. Maybe it's not. Um, so I do think it does exist in, in the premier league where I don't know. I don't think it's at a player level. I think it's, I think it is more at a team level for in, in the soccer realm or in the football or the, the premier league. I would say if that was, If that was West Ham versus Burnley, let's say two non overly glamorous middle of the table, you know, typically non non big six clubs, I think you might see the same outcome. However, if you would have swapped the jerseys on the pitch on Sunday or Saturday, where it was been Chelsea and a big six team Chelsea versus a traditionally non big six team in West Ham, you swap those, then yes, I think that would have been given as a penalty. Yeah, I, I think there's a slight chance it wouldn't have, but I think most like I'd, I'd say like 75% chance that it would be, whereas West Ham had 25% chance of getting it. And and just to prove that soccer bias, uh, you know, refereeing bias, I mean, look at Sala and Neymar too, just to kind of bring it back to, to football. I mean, both of them get calls for diving and, and they dive like nuts, but and they're known for it, but they get the calls and they're really well known, you know, whereas maybe a player that, uh, that, just came out of you know England is not known at all. It just came up from the championship, may not. But anyways, I, yeah. So anyways, all right. So coming into this VAR call, eighty um, first minute, West Ham pretty much well, has had it actually the the action happened like the seventy fifth minute, or it just took, oh okay, it took it took, it took right. this long to to actually. That's, <laughs> that's a good point too, because oh well, we need to cover that as well because that's important as how long they looked at it, how many replays too, but. West Ham have the majority of the momentum. Uh, Chelsea have kind of sat back and played and parked the bus the second half. And West Ham, from the West Ham perspective, we're getting a lot of chances and and pretty solid chances. We had a few times where I thought that we might score. Uh, then we we kind of kick around the back. Valbuena clears it and he hits the player. Now, if you didn't watch the game or you saw a little bit of replay. Um, you might have only seen the VAR portion, but it's important to note the context. So Balbuena had the ball the whole time, and he cleared the ball, and it was a long clear, so his leg was extremely extended. I mean, he um, put his body into it as, as every defender does in a clearance to, to get it out exactly. Yeah. And and the Chelsea player, um, and I forget, I apologize, but I forget which player it was. I think it was Chilwell. Okay, but I'm not that positive. Makes sense because he was on that same side, yeah. Um, but anyways, he tripped um, or was trying to go in for the tackle to stop the clearance and and ended and up falling. Kind of came across in front of Balbuena. 
he came um, across in front, and when the kick was finished, the Chelsea player was lower than Balbuena. And so as a result, when Balbuena's leg came down from the follow-through of the kick, uh, it landed on approximately his his knee area, but it was kind of like his, um, what, what was it? Yeah, the calf or his calf. Yeah. Yeah, back, yeah. Yeah. So anyways, around the knee. As his foot was, so his foot was up in the air after the kick and on, on the way back down, it catches yeah. Joel. Well. Yeah. After the follow through and uh, it if, catched if, him. If you didn't see it, why are you watching the show? Why are you listening? That's true. That's fair. That's fair. But anyways, so, um, and the play stops and everyone's kind of sitting there like, well, why, like, why, you know, there's a VAR check, the referee signaled for that. So the referee upstairs is reviewing it, tells the, the center referee to go review it. And this is after, and I don't know how many replays, but it's at least like, I would say 10, probably um, 10 replays. They looked at this, sent the, the center ref who actually makes the decision um, to the box. He looks at it for three times and then declares a red card. Um, let's just say social media blew up. <laughs> what was your reaction? Well, uh, it wasn't a red card. It wasn't even a foul. I, when they first called, when I, I thought they were looking at, like, when it happened before the VAR came into it, I thought potentially it could be a foul on Chilwell for interfering with Balbuena kicking it because Balbuena, Balbuena had kicked the ball before Chilwell was there. Chilwell was like sprinting across the front of him, makes contact with Balbuena. Um, and like in, in the, you know, we reference a lot other more t- traditional, more American sports, like in basketball, it's a foul. If, if someone takes a shot and the defender does not give them space to land, it's a foul. Uh, and that was the same thing that happened here. Balbuena legally clears the ball has no, you know, it's not, it's not even a contested. It's not like they were both going for the ball at the same, you know, and we're both about to get to it. Balbuena easily clears the ball. Um, and, and when his leg is coming down in its natural motion, Balbuena's eyes are looking up where like downfield where the ball uh, was, his, his leg is coming back down and catches Chilwell who's come across him uh, after he's cleared the ball. And so if anything, like Chilwell initiated this contact, but they go, they go to the VAR um, look at it for, 20 times got yeah. it's got to be um which there's no reason it should take this long i mean you know it was it was not a foul there was no reason it was a foul shouldn't have been a var check at all um and and there's a lot of reasons well i'll after i'll swing it back to you but afterwards i, I want to see kind of all the different reasons people are saying this was this was gotten wrong we'll go through yeah that. No, uh, but, I mean, do you I'll, think I'll be, it was a like? What What do you think about it? Yeah. I, I thought it was egregious. There's, I thought it was nothing well, there. Yeah, egregious call, uh, not an egregious foul, and it was. Yeah. Uh, it honestly was absurd to me. I I was sitting there, and the and the. I think what always kind of helps reinforce my point is when the commentators are saying the same thing, and for the five minutes that they talked about it, from the seventy fifth minute when it happened to the eighty first minute when I actually got the red card, uh, he the commentators were mentioning how this is the most ridiculous thing, and I completely agree with them. Um, the reason I mentioned the the start of the play is because it's it's not like they were fighting back and forth for it. I don't even think it would have changed, but I'm just saying it Balbuena had possession the whole time. He had comfortable possession the whole time. That and to say that he came down maliciously, like where else, I think to me, where else do you put your leg? What what are you supposed to do? And and we'll get to it um after, but you know, Sufal had something 
I mean, the exact, the exact same yeah. thing, except he hit his thigh, not his calf. And it was not even a VAR check, you know? So to me, well, and the only reason we remember that Sufal did it is because we were comparing it to like, it was, it's a completely normal thing that happens. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so I don't, I can't imagine why, you know, this red card would stick. I hope West Ham, I haven't heard if they are, but I hope that they, oh, they will. The, file they, they'll it. always yeah. uh, try and repeal or get it repealed. And uh, an important thing too, uh, before I hand it back to you, if you remember the Suchek red card, it looked a lot worse on VAR when they're playing it at, you know, minus 20 speed or whatever it is. And it was the same with Bubble in it. It looked, if you only see one frame of that picture, yeah, it looks freaking egregious. So, so can, let's go through, I've seen maybe three or four reasons people give for why this stuff happens. So, so, and, you know, I was generally pro VAR when it, when it was being talked about uh, being introduced. I think in the Premier League, only it only seems to be the Premier League. It's been a drastic failure. Every like every other league that it's been used, it seems to work okay. Um, but so these are, and, and I think at this point, yeah, I'm like I would be fine scrapping it, just as how bad it's gone. Um, but the kind of the reasons people give, so I'll, I'll list them through, and then we'll kind of talk about them. One, slowing it down, like you mentioned, it it does it change your people's mind when it when it slows down? It looks completely different, feels completely different, make different decisions than what happens in real time. Two, um, the basically the 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 referee on the field not wanting to overrule the VAR referee. Basically, if if the VAR referee says, "Hey, look at this," then that pretty much means he, the the referee is going to going to go in that direction. Otherwise, he's kind of overruling the VAR ref. I yeah, if it's coming to that point, yeah. then it must be bad. Yeah. Um, three referees not having played soccer. That's when I hear a ton on the you know uh, like the sky sport pundits talk about it even other people talk about it uh oh the, these referees don't know how to they've never played the game so they don't know uh and, and then finally um there's some talk that it was just big six bias i i think we've already kind of covered what the big six bias part so we don't have to really talk about that but kind of the other um other ones Let's go through each one, slowing it down. How big of an impact do you think that has on decisions like this? Yeah, so I think there, just to give the context, I think you have to have it slowed down uh, to be able to see certain things, that, which is kind of why BAR is there. However, I think there should be a rule that you must watch it at full speed as well to give you that context. Because if you watch it at slow-mo, yeah, maybe it's really egregious, but, uh, what we saw with Balbuena. But when you watch it the full time, you think, oh, there's nothing there. So I, I really think that would be a benefit is the referee, if it's coming down to the referee on the field, he has to at least watch it, you know, one or once or twice um, at full speed. And, and then, yeah, sure. Slow it down a little bit. What do you think of that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's, if the decision only, can, if the decision only can be made through slow motion, it wasn't a clear and it wasn't a clear and egregious error, which is what VAR is meant to, to overrule is, is, yeah. is clear errors. Um, so if you have to slow it down, then it means you can't see it from the I, naked eye. However, I mean, there's some situations in which the way they're applying the rules, you have to slow it down. Um, and even if like you're trying to judge bad intent, I can see you slowing it down eventually. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying. You you need to be able to watch it a few times in regular speed. And, and if, if you're, you know, kind of the eye test says, oh, nothing's like terrible here, then move it on. Um, for the second reason, kind of 
be, the the referee being afraid to overturn the VAR referee. What do you think about that? See, I actually I don't see that one nearly as much. Uh, just in terms of my view, just because I you know they're both referees, they're paid to do their job. And yeah. to me, that bias, uh, there is like a, a thing I'm a pilot. And so that, that comes in with crew resource management is, are you going to overrule the more senior pilot who is making a bad decision when, you know, the more junior guy knows what's better or can see something that the other guy can't. And it's kind of the same with referees. I feel like it, it could be is maybe they don't want to overrule, but there's also the center referee is the one that's in charge. The VAR guys there to help him, just like the people on the sidelines with the flags, the assistant referees, they're there to help, you know, and it's down to the center referee's decision. So I don't see that as much. I, if I were a center referee and a VAR pers- uh, referee told me you need to look at this, I would think, okay, there might be something there, but, and I think it would still rest with the center referee. It's, that's interesting how you bring up kind of your experience in, in the cockpit and, and how that works on a flight crew. And I agree with you there there is like um, fairly good research that like when, when there is this clear pecking order, you're not going to want to kind of overrule the more senior person. I don't, and, and yes, the center referee is the one who's responsible f- ultimately for this. I just don't know if in th- this situation, if that's, if there's really as clear a seniority because they seem to kind of rotate these positions like like for example the the sideline official this game was mike dean mike dean's a more senior referee based on tenure than than was it chris kavanaugh i believe yeah. was the the referee so like and I, I don't i don't quite remember who the var referee was in this instance, but i don't know if it's there's always a clear kind of seniority basis on these different referee positions um that might play um one thing so i actually uh I thought I listened to the um, West Ham Way USA podcast this morning when I was when I was doing some dishes, and I thought they had some good discussion on it, especially particularly a good um, potential solution to this, which was mic the referees up. You know, I've seen this other places. Well, put a microphone on the referees, let us hear their deliberations, especially during these um, the VAR when they're when they're watching the replay. What what are they talking to each other? What are they saying? Um, and, and both, they were talking about that both in they, in this perspective, but also kind of m- making sure there's no explicit big six bias in, in the refereeing. Cause if they know if they're, if they know they're being recorded and, you know, they can, they can both explain how, what they're, what they're seeing. And, and, you know, like the NBA's implemented this with, with their sideline refereeing, when they go to the replay booth, you, you can tell exactly what the NBA ref is looking at. He is talking to the to the to the center crew and like in it that's in a different city. You you get this back and forth, and so it helps you understand um, the deliberations that are going on. So I think that would kind of help with that one. I don't think it's as big of a factor as the first one or what we're yeah. about to talk the the third one. Well, um, real quick, also um, like you mentioned, so Mike Dean was the fourth official. Uh, Chris Cavanaugh was the full referee, and then. Um, Peter Banks was the VAR referee. And just uh, one thing that I saw when I was a referee in soccer is you switch all the time. Sometimes you're an assistant referee. Sometimes you're um, the center referee. It seems like the VAR is now, we didn't have VAR, but it seems like VAR is the same way where it just depends on how you're assigned for work that week. So that I think would help break down the, the seniority compared to if you were assistant referee for 30 years, and the center referee's been there for 60, you know? So yeah, I so agree. I think clear. it's not as big of a deal as the first one. 
Okay. And so, so kind of the f- brings us to the final reason, which is seems to be the most popular among uh, critics over the last 24 hours. Um, and, and one that's often brought up when there's a, as big of a uh, controversy as this one. And that's that the referees just haven't played soccer that they just, or, or football. They're, they're just not, they're not an ex player. They don't really know what goes on. Um, and to be honest, I, I, I get the appeal of this one. I think it's a load of bullocks. Like I've never played soccer beyond, like I said, beyond grade school. And and even then it was not very intense, but I know that what Balbuena did just physically was the only thing he could do. Like, it's not that hard. If you understand basically how a human body works and have watched a little bit of soccer, which of course these referees, they might not have played soccer, but they've been around the game their entire life. So like yeah. I, to me that 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 whole argument is is stupid. Like it's as if we pulled some random person off the street that's never seen what this game is before. That's not what's happening. These people know what the game is. They understand it. I don't think that's really a contributing reason, in my opinion. Tell me if I'm yeah. Wrong. No, I I completely agree. If you are a referee, even at, at my level, which was not high, you know, um, but I played soccer up through high school and then um, you know, ref for maybe five years out of that and every i don't know a single referee that was not involved in soccer around that time um and then for the ones that went on to go to higher uh, levels like college it, you know requires another upgrade in referee and then past that i mean a fifa referee has a lot of grades to go through and, and upgrades um so to get to that level first of all you know soccer darn well um second of all i they have such a passion for the game because think about, think about it, you know, just for America, like NBA or NFL or, you know, um, the base, uh, can't think of baseball, but anyways, to get to that level, those people know the game. They are such, they're so passionate about it and they watch games uh, like crazy. I mean, you, you know, the game. So I think for FIFA referee, especially premier league level and world cup level, those guys are to get there is really, really tough. You are, you are a student of the game for sure. Yeah. And I don't even think, I mean, just cause they haven't played professionally doesn't mean they haven't, you know, right. Played it their entire lives, just recreationally. I mean, that's what most people do. Like if people don't really say that about um, people that like the, the best people at running a club, aren't the best players. It's not the correlation there isn't very high. So I don't get why when, when it comes to refereeing, when you're adjudicating the law of the game, why people think just having a better player or someone that's um, played professionally is going to really impact that. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And thinking of other jobs, I mean, look at literally any profession, pretty much, you know, whether you're a professor or uh, whether you're a pilot or whether you're in just the most specialty type of business. I mean, you got there because you studied and studied and studied and you're probably pretty passionate about it but even not it still took a ton of time to get there well it's the same with the fifa referees they're it's not i don't maybe some of them have side jobs but they're probably earning enough that they probably this is their whole job their whole career so i don't you know that's a professionalism thing to me there's not just I do think the tr- the training could change a little bit, but it's it's not as if there's just a unused pool of expert referees out there better than these people that just haven't been that are just you know sitting at home on Sundays and Saturdays 
watching these games like no these are these are the best in the world right and they got there for a reason now just you you, there can be changes to their instruction changes to maybe what you're training them how to use var and stuff like that but yeah i don't think that's the big issue yeah no i result in these calls so um so chris with that we after that red card just uh you know our our attack was done the game was over at that point um there was there was no point to play later i mean West Ham were crushed by that physically, you know, on the field, the fans were crushed. The coach was extremely mad and upset uh, the manager. He had some interesting comments after the game. Um, can with a one zero loss to Chelsea, can we keep pushing for champions league? Can we, can we go ahead of them in the schedule and the table? And, uh, and then also what kind of results today impacted how the table looks for competing for Europe? Yeah, well, we, we got helped out by a few results further down the table, particularly Liverpool only drawing against Newcastle. Um, kept us kind of, we, we stayed, managed to, to hold on to fifth place, um, only ahead by a point over Liverpool and two points by Tottenham, but far enough behind on goal differential that we're not, um, if we do tie them on points, we won't have a better goal differential. We have a favorable remaining schedule for the most part. Um I know burn I mean well it looked like more favorable before today before Burnley won for nothing um but Wolves, yeah yeah uh but for the most part we have a pretty favorable schedule could easily see us winning three or three or four of those remaining five games uh if I mean we have a chance to win all five but I you know I can easily see us winning three or four to be honest I, I think the the Champions League hopes are are pretty slim at this point we're we're four, three points behind Chelsea, four behind Leicester. Leicester still has one more game to play, um, or one, an, an additional game to play. I just don't see us overtaking both or or one of those teams, especially with the other ones nipping behind us. But I do think very much our, our push for the Europe Europa League is strong. You know, we're we are uh, three points out of eighth with Everton and um, it looks like today at, with the um, the EFL cup going to Man City that, that, you know, spots up to seven should get a Europa League spot. So I, I think we'll at least get Europa League, but Champions League, it's just looking tough. See, I, I am actually a little bit more hopeful for Champions League because I don't want us to give up yet because the loss to Chelsea, I've always said this game would decide who gets Champions League spot. However, uh, there's a little asterisk there in, in looking at the schedules. We've got the easiest schedule out of the top six, um, including us. So out of the, the five other teams around us, we've got the easiest schedule. Uh, Chelsea has actually the hardest schedule. They still have some really, really big names to play. And I think, I mean, uh, there's maybe they'll win all of them, but I just highly doubt. It. I think they're going to drop some games. So I think we need to take this one in stride. But I, I really I want to keep our heads up for Champions League, and I'm still extremely hopeful for it. Um, three points, I mean, I mean, that was a big one yesterday. But the, the schedule, I think, is, you know, kind of we have to do get lucky, but the schedule is kind of favorable for us. You know, Chris, we, we kind of pride ourselves on um, measured uh, reaction, good analysis, um, you know, not super outlandish, but... I'm going to have a hot take here. David Gold and David Sullivan cost us Champions League. Not replacing Hilaire in the winter window 
cost us Champions League. You know, don't tell me we couldn't beat Newcastle if we had a real striker. Don't tell me we couldn't beat Chelsea if we had a real striker. Like, I love Bowen. I think he's great. I think he should start in every team. He just he can't play in that position isolated by himself. Lingard hasn't been the same since you know since Antonio. He was he was good for the first couple of games when Antonio was out, but he's he's fallen off. There's just not when the defense knows that they can just man mark these people without the threat of a true striker, the entire offense seems to kind of fall apart. It's interesting you say that because look. And I said this at the start of the podcast here, uh, the undermining factor or underlying, excuse me, factor is squad depth. And that's why to me, we lost this game. We lost to Newcastle. We ended up tying Arsenal. I mean, then that was, uh, you know, four games ago, but we lost United before then in a game that we could have won. Yeah. But, but the reason I bring up Arsenal is because to me, they were impressive because they put on three offensive subs. And change the game. Uh, for us, we don't have that. We have our starting 11, and now we have five people, five people out, and that includes the red card um, for, against Chelsea. We had five people out, five starters out. So when you have that many injuries, Chelsea, Chelsea can back that up with star players, and they have a deep bench. West Ham have the starting 11, and we have a few people we can sub in here and there. And many of, many of the... The, the, yes, five injuries is a lot of injuries. A lot of those crises were foreseeable. Antonio, paper hamstrings. He's go, going to be injured. <laughs> having two left backs that can never stay healthy, like or like not having another left back to cover for Masuaku, where that that five back kind of falls apart if he's not there. Yeah, like he was injured in January. Yeah, like we knew about that. We having, know Antonio. Having, having, you know, I think Mark Noble's been really good since he's come to play, but knowing the drop off from either Rice or Suchek to Mark Noble is huge. And knowing that we have no one to really replace them like for like in if one of those two was injured and we needed to play both of them every week. So yeah, just not replacing any of those positions, especially well, striker. And stri- yeah, striker to me, you dropped Hilaire, uh, fine, you know, wasn't really working out. You think, I mean, to me, Ben Rama, you, you can bring in Ben Rama, you can bring in Lingard, but those aren't permanent fixes. Those are fixes for other positions, not striker. And, you know, we, we were linked with a, a million people for striker. So why can't we just do a deal? I mean, you know, this is coming up. And now the fact that we're doing so well, I, I mean, I am extremely hopeful that we'll say, you know what, let's invest the money now. We've got a good team. Let's really get the depth and then next year compete with Champions League. However, we all know these owners and we know that they're probably going to bring in one, maybe two people and that'll be it. Yeah. Well, I mean, like it, it's a miracle that we're still in the Europa League. Like to, if yeah. it's a, because we have so many of these close wins by the skin of our teeth with all these injuries. Credit to Moyes, credit, credit to the to players. Moyes. Yep. Like, but how easily it would have been for this team to fall off and be in eighth place right now. And look at Fabianski, right? So Randolph is injured right now. If Fabianski gets hurt, I mean, we're down to David Martin, well, which Trot, Martin, Trot, um, yeah. It, 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 yeah. Like, what do you what do you do? And then also we have a youngster, right, in Odebeko, 
and, and well, I'm talking about for striker, but also in defense, we've got Baptiste who, yeah. and at least Alves, I mean, Elise, Alves, all those players that could be Coventry has been in the team or has been around. He's been doing well now. He's a little bit injury prone, but still like, I, I'm just kind of wondering when we're going to give these starter or these uh, youngsters a chance, uh, give them a start because Johnson came out and did well. Um, and Gakia, I mean, came out and, you know, and went on a played decent his, contract. His position. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. And just think the only difference between Johnson and Coventry, they're not, they're not really that different. Well, they might be slightly different in age, but like Johnson isn't considered a youth player anymore. He's a first teamer. And the only reason was because he was given an opportunity to play. Yep. Like, I I don't see why any of those players we mentioned can't be as successful as him. Yeah, I agree. And then the the big one for me is, is Odebeko. I, I cannot explain why we're not using him. I have no reasons. At least Baptiste, you're like, okay, well, we do have a few. We brought in Dawson, like, sure, maybe, maybe. You know, Coventry, yeah. we've got Noble, maybe. But oh, but what do you do against Stryker? Anyways, that's my little rant for the episode. Yeah, so I just think that not replacing. I, yes, I know the excuses of, oh, there just wasn't value or we didn't have the, the targets identified. Whatever that excuse is, that brings up that brings up a separate problem on the owners. If oh we didn't, you know, there wasn't value. That means they're not gonna they're, they're, they didn't scout. If if they didn't have players identified, they didn't scout. So it was other failures that led to this, and they all stem back to Golden Sullivan. And, and so I don't so, really know. It, it would have been so easy to invest ten to twenty million pounds in the squad to increase your chances of getting into champions leagues by so much, which is, which itself brings a windfall. It's an investment. But in January, you knew that you were there at the start of the season. Sure. You were, you just fought relegation. I mean, still like that's a whole nother deal, but in January, you knew you were doing well. Um, Chris, one big topic that we've seen over and over. I want to cover really quickly before we get into the super league. Ben Rama and for nows. Now, (laughs) I, I just want to cover this because didn't. yeah, well it did, but I, I just think it's really interesting. It's a fun topic for me to talk oh, yeah. about. And I, I know for you, to me, it, just to cover it really quickly, I think they're completely different players. Um, you've got Ben Rama, who's more, a much more, uh, or excuse me, I should say dribbles the ball a lot more, which is fine in certain situations for now to me is more of a, a center attacking mid He's, and we've been preaching that since we started this podcast that he needed to be played in yeah. center attacking mid. He he gets those key passes down. Um, an interesting point, which I think you uh, you had a, a really good uh, thing that I want to bring up is, you know, I mentioned on social media that um, the counter attack was faster, and you helped to to clarify that. And to me, it was just perfect the way you said it. Is it's not that Fernals is the one that's that's bring that is the faster player than Ben Rama with the ball. No, no, no. He's bringing the team up with him. He's passing. He's making key passes. He's Ben Rama would take the ball and dribble, and sure he would advance and maybe bring two or three players with him, but he's not bringing the West Ham team. And to no. me, that what Fornalis is a faster counter attacker because he brings everyone. Well, I, th- I think it's two things. I think yeah. So it's it's not the individual pace of the two players. Yes, if you're just comparing the individual pace of the two players, Ben Rama is faster. But what Fornals brings to the counterattack that Ben Rama doesn't is two two things particularly. One, Ben Rama's or Fornals is a much more willing runner than Ben Rama. 
if Fornals does not have the ball, he's going to run harder and 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 try and get in the right position more so than Ben Ramos has shown that he's going to do. But primarily, it's how the ball moves. It's it's how fast the ball is moving on the counter attack, which Ben Rama too often slows down the ball to try and do a dribble move past his man rather than keeping the ball itself moving either through just a straight down the line or through passing the ball. What Fornals does is he moves the ball faster by passing it, running, passing it, running. He doesn't try and take his man on one-on-one because in a counterattack, it's not you dribbling by your man. It's you moving the ball past the other team. And that's accomplished more, it's more effectively through passing the ball. And so that's what really Fornals brings. Yeah, they're, they're different players as far as their play style. Um, and there's a lot of other, I, I'm a big fan of both of them. I think they both can be in the starting 11, uh, depending on how we line up. I, I wish we would have done a, you know, four four two three one with both of them in the attacking midfield. Um, but yeah, I think, as far as Fornals brings more effort, he brings defensive, um, more defensive capabilities, both in effort and in just the ability to tackle someone. We'll, we'll put in a leg. Uh, I think he's a better um, cohesive passer. He doesn't he doesn't pick out a man quite as you know. It, it doesn't he doesn't have the brilliant you know pinpoint cross or something that Ben Rama has shown from time to time, but he, he moves the ball better. He tends to get in better positions uh, where I think Ben Rama tends to shine is Ben Rama is a better dribbler. I think Ben Rama has, he hasn't scored a goal for us yet, but I think he is a more, a bigger goal threat from, from nothing. He's, he's more apt to create something out of nothing than Fornals is. And and that can that can be very useful against a team that's stuck in like Chelsea. I I, I think it was a great move to bring him on in the Chelsea game. Uh, but that being said, I think overall we see Fornals contribute to the totality of the team's success more than Ben Rama. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're creative in different ways, and based on how we line up, it depends on who you play, but also what kind of creativity you want. And um, speaking of creativity, we had quite a creative league come up uh, this, this past week specifically. I know it's been going in and out uh, of the news for the past few years, every now and then it comes up, but this time something different happened. Chris, do you want to explain a little bit about um, the super league and everything, everything around it? Yeah. So, so essentially um, just, I'll kind of compare it to the current system. So UEFA set up through FIFA has this system where UEFA is kind of the regional body below that is all the national level um, football associations like the, the English FA and such that, that run their own system of domestic leagues with promotion and relegation. Uh, And UEFA runs kind of the European wide competitions of the champions league and Europa league that are, that are designed through um, kind of allocated spots to, to each of the, domestic football associations and so in the uk or in, in england it's the the they they do they apportion some of their champions league and europa league places through just the premier league placement but then a couple through the additional cups um and that whole system has promotion relegation so theoretically you know there could be some team right now in the fifth division 
that in, I don't know, 10 or 20 years time has a great success, moves up to the Premier League, eventually can work its way into Europa League. We've seen that before. We've seen that happen again. You know, the teams that are always on top aren't always on top. You know, Nottingham Forest was was a great team back in the day. They, Blackpool was a good team back in the day. They're all in in either the second division or lower now. Um, but then you also see teams like uh, and same same thing with like Bolton and those. Then you also see teams like Leicester City, who really did not have necessarily a, an overly storied history, um, but have risen through the ranks. And you know, Leicester City is an outlier in the fact that they won the league, but they have managed to. Um, gain success. Chelsea is a team that was not always fantastic and has gained success. Uh, Tottenham is a team that has more recently gained success um, and, and through this kind of system. Uh, a meritocracy that, that does have susceptibility to being bought. I mean, they, they're, there is a definite truth that the current system favors richer clubs. They, they have an easier path to success, but you still have to prove it on the pitch. You still have to win the games. So that's that's the current system. I know that was long, but I just kind of thought that was, it was important to set that up. Now, well, you, you real quick, you you mentioned you have to prove it on the pitch. Uh, look at Arsenal; they've got some great players on there, but they're just not able to produce right now. And just to kind of throw that in there real quick, I mean, like you mentioned, it's they have a ton of money, but it doesn't always guarantee that you're going to get Champions League. So yeah, yeah, and it doesn't like you know, in 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 all these leagues, yes, that if you look across the individual leagues the richest clubs tend to be the ones that succeed the most, but it doesn't always happen. You you'll have the Leicester, you'll have the case in which uh, a severe and Atletico Bilbao gets a champions league spot or gets a Europa. You know, you'll see, um, you know, Wolves got a, a Europa league spot recently. West Ham have gotten in, in the past, all the like other clubs that have um, been able to fight it's their way to the top. And, and particularly this season where you see um, going into yesterday, West Ham and Leicester above all of these traditionally highly regarded teams in the table. Um, so that this Super League comes in and every year or two years, it's been talked about, uh, theorized of maybe this will happen. Nothing as concrete as what ha- has happened over the past week and a half, I'd say, um, where these 15 teams come out, uh, including the, the traditional top six in England, and said, we're forming the Super League. It is separate from UEFA. It will be a midweek league where basically we are guaranteed to be in this league. And essentially what that would have done is destroy the Champions League. It Champions League goes practically bye-bye. It might be there in existence, but it'll be, it'll be relegated to some third tier competition if, if these teams aren't in it. And that's, you know, that's the case. Same thing with Europa League. They're just, if, if you're taking the top 15 teams from uh, across Europe, generally 15 of the top, you know, maybe 20 teams in Europe, it's just not going to be that exciting. Uh, and, and it is worth mentioning that these 15 teams, I think were concentrated in something like seven cities. So basically the, the crux of of European football would be contained within six or seven cities, um, with without the threat of relegation, where these teams could perpetually lose and not be kicked out of the league. You know, basically, you're removing the incentive to perform well, um, or a part of the incentive to perform well. So one of the problems this brought um, was that you're killing the chances of any other club from gaining the success that those 15 clubs have. 
West Ham can no longer be reach the level of a Liverpool or a Manchester United. Uh, Leicester can't ever, you know, repeat. And and with this, um, as bad as the financial disparities are now, the Super League would funnel so much money into those top clubs that, you know, now let's say Man City probably has, what, two and a half, three times the budget that West Ham have to spend on players. Yeah, it's probably a decent estimate. That would probably double or triple. To six. Where now, yeah, six times. now they'd have six, eight, yep. nine times the transfer budget of a West Ham. And and that there would be no way to compete with that. And so it would kill competition all the way down through the domestic like to the domestic leagues. And just to mention some of the teams that are involved and some of the teams that aren't. Uh, so you've got teams that were involved, the big six. When we talk about that, we're talking about Man City, Man United. We're talking about Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, Liverpool, right? And I don't think I'm missing anything. Um, besides that, that's pretty much the Premier League. For uh, La Liga, it was Real Madrid and Barcelona. Uh, for the Italian League, you had Roma. Um, I believe it was Inter Milan and AC Milan. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure both were involved. Um, and then and Juventus. So those and and there's some other ones I don't know so, all. But practically in in three of the top leagues, all the top clubs, right? Traditionally right. top clubs, yeah. Right, and so the teams that um, actually I thought it was pretty interesting that that said no uh, were PSG and PSG dominates the. I mean they're guaranteed Champions League every time in the French you know French yeah. league, but PSG, um, Bayern, and um, also Dortmund both said they would not, and I thought that was that was pretty interesting as well. Which, which is really interesting from like uh, you know the German model is a little different, and we won't get too deep into their structure. But even like a team like Dortmund, who is currently not in the Champions League picture based on their Bundesliga performance, is still like fine with this, you know, fine with not going, you know, not being part of a Super League, which is uh, you know refreshing, like it would be in their short-term self-interest to, to be a part of it. Right. And that's why I think Tottenham and Arsenal got so much stink because of it is because they're not technically right now uh, in Europe or in, I mean, Arsenal, I think is ninth right now. So, uh, so anyways, th- there was a I lot. Mean, it's, it's, the, it's the equivalent of you're playing a kick around with a guy or with, with some guys and the person who owns the ball gets mad because his team's losing. And then he says, I'm going home. That's basically what like Arsenal and these teams are doing. Yeah. They're not, they don't like where they're sitting. And so they're just taking their ball and going home. Yeah. And so we saw uh, it was organized by all these clubs. And then you started seeing a little bit of uh, actually a lot of fan um, opposition and people were marching on it. They were uh, assembling outside of these stadiums Um of these clubs that had decided to leave, they were saying that you aren't listening to the fans. It was completely the owner's decision. And for the owners, it's beneficial because of money, obviously. Um, but for the fans, and and I must give credit to the fans, I think of a lot of these clubs that I saw from uh, specifically Chelsea and Arsenal, they were mad. And it's, it's yeah. hard for me because as a West Ham fan, I'm mad at them, including the fans, but I shouldn't be like, because the fans opposed it too. It wasn't, yeah. You know, it really wasn't the fans' fault. And, well, and I mean, and the clubs had to react because of it. It would most likely ruin any sort of rivalry these teams have. Like the, the, the Premier League would be all but rendered irrelevant for the most part. I mean, 
there's 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 talk of like are these teams going to be expelled if they go through with it um they certainly wouldn't be part of the champ you know the uefa competitions but would they be part of this but like would it even matter because they would have destroyed the premier league these there would be no chance for a team like us or burnley or newcastle or wolves to do any sort of competition with these teams and so yeah the the fans like i I'm, i'm happy that the fans stood up against it um yeah there's just it was it would have been the most monumental shift yep. in football finances that has happened in 150 years i mean ever since the premier league's been around uh so interestingly enough i as of right now we're recording on uh, april 25th uh, I believe Real Madrid and Barcelona are still a part of it. I believe there's still some clubs that are a part of it. Uh, all of the, to my knowledge, all the English clubs have decided to leave. I know Tottenham was one of the last ones to leave, and I'm not sure if they've officially announced it. Uh, that, so for about a week, right, they said, you know, no, we're, we're leaving UEFA and we're going to go to the Super League. Do they deserve punishment? Will they get punished? What do you think of that? So, I'll go ahead and I'll first give my prediction of what kind of will happen as far as so the Super League as as they presented it will not happen. However, I do think this is going to force UEFA and FIFA's into a different um, bargaining position with with respect to the revenue sharing of both you know, maybe like the Premier League for the FA or or the Champions League for for UEFA that could still see these clubs financially gain from this where they would get a larger share of, of whatever revenue pie. Um, but I don't think, I think with the English teams pulling out and the other, you know, the German and the, the French teams not being a part of it, it's not really the super league itself won't happen. I still think there might be some changes that are harmful because of it, because basically those teams force the hands of UEFA and other groups to, to give them more money. Um, but as far as punishment goes, this one's tough. I mean, the, the ways you could punish them, maybe you could give them a points deduction. Maybe you can financially find them. You could potentially give them a transfer ban. That's about it. I guess, I guess UEFA could ban them from competitions, but if that, if, if they ban them from competitions then the clubs are just going to go through with it and start the super league. So that's not a real option, in my opinion. And then there's there's a debate of, well, any punishment you bring on them just hurts the fans, and the fans didn't want this. Yeah, that's true, but but it's also we you punish teams further down the table for like I think Bolton got punished for financial issues. There's these teams that are punished for things breaking these rules that the fans had nothing to do with, but it still results in I think you have to punish them. I would say I say you you do a points deduction. You know I, I hate that if West Ham do end up getting a um, Champions League spot, Champions League spot because of it. I know it's like I'm not just saying that because we're in the position. I think it would feel tainted somewhat, but I think the biggest way to hurt these teams is to basically in some, in some form or fashion not let them perform in the champions league in the short term this maybe next season i think a points deduction is the best way to do that you it it hurts them financially it hurts them because players won't it'll be it'll be tougher for them to recruit players knowing the champions league isn't going to be or they're not going to compete there um i would also be fine if it was some just 
pure financial penalty instead. Yeah, I mean, as a as a West Ham fan, so someone that was not directly involved, uh, their club is not directly involved. I'm, I mean, I'm pretty upset, you know, and I think most fans are, including even some of the fans that uh, are at a part of these big clubs. I, I'm upset because they threatened to ruin football, right? And I, and so to me, yeah, those clubs should be punished. And I, I mean, it, I feel bad for the fans because it wasn't their choice, but the owners half UEFA would I think cease to exist in terms of um, having any authority if they didn't punish them because then you could know that you could disobey and you know so yeah maybe a points deduction probably is the most fair I think it would be it would feel tainted but I also if we got Champions League because of it but I also think that it's nothing that we did you know it's not like we got points added to ours it's other clubs around us that messed up and so it to me, I don't know. I would be okay with that. And I think that's what should happen. I don't think anything will happen. And that is a shame. And, and like for me, like screw UEFA. I don't really care about like UEFA is just as yeah. greedy as these clubs. They are like, it, they're just that the reason I'm, I'm supporting the old structure versus the new is because I get, you know, West Ham gets so screwed under the new structure. I mean, they're both, both of them are just greedy teams looking for money or, you know, greedy groups looking for money. I mean, that's like that FIFA's corrupt. It's fine. They're, they're having their, they're having the world cup in Qatar that was built on slave labor that of people that have died, like they're not by no means are FIFA or UEFA blameless or, you know, pristine organizations, but like it's, it is. It would be so detrimental to not just the, the the other fourteen in the Premier League or the other teams in those respective leagues, but it would it would seriously hamper all the way down the ladder, the divisions of these of these leagues that they know they just can't. There's there's no path to success for them now, no path to success. Yeah, I don't see um, how it's beneficial in any way, and. Now there's been talk about them changing the Champions League format a little bit. And it seems like to me that these big clubs are going to try to force their hands where if I were UEFA, I, I really want to say, Hey, you guys don't have any power here. It's our league. But like you said, they're big clubs. And if you punish them too much, they're just going to say, you know what? Fine. We are going to go with the super league. So I, I think you have to find a middle ground, which is sad because they those big clubs are trying to assert their dominance over everyone else and for people like west ham or i would if i were lester probably are the ones that are the most hurt by this because they're doing really really well they have climbed the ladder and now they're not included in all this you know and so anyways yeah and it's yeah it's ridiculous um i don't think i've met a west ham fan out there that hasn't or you know a non top six fan that, that hasn't thought it's been a terrible idea. And so many of, of even the top six just think it's a horrible idea. Um, and, and it's, it's strange. I mean, we have the system, the sports systems in the U S are just so different. Um, it would be a move towards this, but, but kind of in a different way, like it, it's more disruptive because the system is different. Like I, like I think there are benefits with kind of the, American model, like for example, that these these leagues have about thirty teams. They're self-contained systems. There's no promotion or relegation. 
so one benefit is is over your lifetime you're going to see teams rise and fall like teams get better and teams get worse but but there's you're kind of capped at how bad they get because they're still always going to be a part of the league uh, but th- the whole system is just different you know, there is only one professional American football league. There is only one profession, like good professional, like basketball league. It's different with soccer. You can't adapt that same model to world soccer and, and it still be world soccer. It just changes it completely. Well, I think that's the thing is American football, you know, is just that it's literally only in America. And I mean, the NFL has tried to get it in Europe, but it just has not kicked off. Whereas in Europe, you've got soccer where it's, or football, I should say, which is uh, a lot of different countries taking part. And yeah. it's it's not the same as uh, in the U.S. where baseball, I mean, it's a little bit in Asia, Japan, you know, Korea. But for the most part, it's, it's all here. Same with basketball. I mean, there's some basketball in Turkey and Spain, but pretty much all in the U.S. So well, on those sports, there's different. only enough exciting pro-level talent to fill one league with which soccer or football is it's there's so much talent out there that you can't restrict it to just one league. Like you can't. Well, I know I agree. And I think that's, what's actually really hurting the U S in soccer is the U S uses the U S model for a international game. Um, And what I mean by that is the MLS major league soccer, which is equivalent to the premier league in the U S is well, let's be real. It's not equivalent at all, but, uh, but that's our, are, it's, it's the premier division of premier division. Yeah. yeah. But, but they own, I mean, I could get all into it, but they own yeah. all the clubs. They, there's no promotion relegation. And as a result, you see players like Christian Pulisic, you know, going over to Europe because it's a lot more competitive um, style over there and you're going to see better football over there. So yeah. but it, the, the difference is it generates so much. It's, it's a guaranteed income for the owners, right? That system, right. but it, it yeah, it hampers the competition. It hampers the overall cap of how good the league can be. Right on a world level, yeah. it hurts us. But yeah. Um, well, Chris, let's uh, let's look ahead to our next game. So, um, good discussion on the Super League. Good discussion about uh, the Chelsea game and VAR. We've got some. Uh, they're never easy games, but we've got a little bit of an easier schedule coming up. And next we have Burnley. Burnley, of course, just won 4-0 to Wolves. <laughs> it's not going to be an easy game, but we've got to win coming out uh, if we want to even, I think, hope to stay competitive. Uh, what do you see on, on the Burnley game, and how do you think it will shake out? We, we have to win. If we don't pick up 10 points from these last five games, we're not. there's no chance of Champions League. We probably have to win four of the five and maybe tie at Everton to hope for champions league. Um, But as far as Burnley goes, it's going to be a tough game. I mean, we're still, we might have Masuaku back or Cresswell back. I don't think there's any other player. Dawson will still be out on a suspension. I think he'll be out through, through the Everton game, I believe. So I thought Dawson was only a one, one game suspension, was it, but it's I more. Thought, I thought, I think those are, I think a straight red is automatically a three, but I might be oh, wrong. I could be wrong. About that. I'm not um, sure. I think if it's a, if it's a double yellow, it's one, but I think a, a straight red is three. Um, But we'll see. Hopefully I assume Bob Blaine is going to get overturned. If he's not, then he, then that's, you know, bad as well 
Um, but yeah, like I don't see our, our I don't see our injury injury situation improving that much. I think we need to go to back to the four back personally. Um, hopefully, one of our traditional left backs is will be will be healthy. If not. I think you can play Johnson or, or Fredericks. I think if it's a five back, I thought Fredericks performed really well. He provides us a little more attacking. If it's a four back, I'd probably rather have Johnson at that left back position because he's, I think, a little more stout defensively, um, at least a little more consistent with that. Because uh, we, need, you need to go for the three points. I don't know if with the personnel we have available, the five back has got enough in it. Yeah, I think the four-back is the key uh, to, to go forward. You, We've played Man United, we've played Leicester, we've played all these you know top teams. And the five-back in those games I'm okay with because you do need to play a little bit more defensively and hope for some counterattacks. But from here on out, with maybe the exception of Everton, we should be dominating and controlling the game. And to me, I mean, first of all, we don't have anything to lose. Um, but I also, with... Every single one of these games, if you go down one or two zero, you better. I mean, I believe one hundred percent that we can come back. Whereas yeah. if you go down to two zero to Man City, that's going to be a tough. Like you might as well just control the bleeding at that point. You're more likely to go down four or five. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think with all these games, this is where I want to see offensive subs on the field. I, I really don't think we need any defensive subs um, if we're down. Now, if we're up by, you know, I, I mean, there's a whole thing with that. So I'm. Um, I think Rice is supposed to come back towards the very end of the season, which I mean, we need him, but I must say Noble to me has, has impressed me with how he's played. I thought he played hesitant. quite well. It's, it's a tough call because these games are so monumental, but rushing a player back, especially someone as important right. as Rice is, that's true. is risky. Yeah, that's a good point. Same for Antonio. If he, you know, if he can play the last game or two, that's great, but man, can you even, can you even deploy him and, just like you're just praying he's not going to get injured but yeah he won't be um, much fit so yeah no i i think i would really really like to see the, the four back with uh with that offensive option i, I mean i just i'm so excited when you have ben rama for now bowen lingard like all those yeah, people all on the field together oh I, when yeah. i think like we we were on our debate versus ben rama and and for like yes i'm i i favor for but I really, really think Ben Rama can be something good if we give him the run of games. Like he has not had a consistent place in the team. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's just he doesn't show enough in training. I don't know if he just doesn't fit the mold of what um, of what Moyes wants. I'm not sure, but I, you know, he I think he has what it takes. He obviously performs so well at the championship division. And I still think he's had good performances in a West Hampshire. You know, the goals haven't been there, but he has four assists and, you know, people say, Oh, he's had like 22 appearances. Well, that, that's a little bit misleading because a lot of his appearances have been five or 10 minute stints that like he really hasn't played all that much in a West Hampshire, especially consistently week in week out that I think these next five games could be an opportunity for him, especially if we switch back to a four back to, to, earn his spot in the team yeah uh i mean i agree uh i don't really have anything else to add besides that like you mentioned we, we've got to pull out some wins um yeah. we're done with our hard games everton i mean winning at everton would really 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 help us 
we'll see. Uh, I'm hopeful. I mean, I'm still hopeful. Yeah, no, I think we'll. I think we've got a pretty good grasp on a Europa spot, and I, there's still, you know, you're a little more optimistic than I am about the Champions League hopes, but we do have an easier schedule than any of the other clubs remaining. So there's a, there is always that chance that we we go on a short run here. Um, still, I still like our talent, even the even with all the injuries, compared to to teams like Burnley and Brighton. So, focus. Uh, we that I think concludes our show, but. If you're not already subscribing or following us on Twitter, um, please do so. It, it really does help us. We always um, love fan feedback and interaction as well. So if you um, like the show, you feel free to you know reach out to us, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, we also really appreciate questions, and you know from time to time on the podcast, we'll try to get to some fan questions. So uh, thank you for all the support. We uh, also just reached hundred over hundred followers now, and that has been huge for us because this is yeah. this is something really fun for us to do and uh, getting a hundred people uh, getting over that threshold. I think was, was really big. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. Thank you for listening. And uh, like Chris said, like, and subscribe, you know, whatever, we're, whatever podcast feed you're on, make sure you subscribe um, and yeah, interact with us on social media at, at green eggs and WH. So on at Twitter. So uh, it's great, great to I love doing the show and um, come on you irons. Yeah. Come on you irons. Let's get that win next week. <laughs>